0: Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender.
1: Hey, everyone. Hope you're having a great day. Welcome to the show, everyone in the United States and around the world. Special shout-out to Yoshiko. Yoshiko, hope you are having a great day. To our sponsor, Hi, Mark. Blue Cross Blue Shield, got to tell you about the 17 countries that listen to our show. Do you know that for years and years now, our largest listening audience, 90% of the time, has been Ireland? And I just want to say, Ireland, I don't know what you're doing over there to spread the news about uh, quality of life for people with disabilities, but So proud of you. And really, there are countries where one person listens, but in Finland, one person listens. I don't care if it's one person. I just so appreciate uh, all of you as listeners. Now, I have to tell you, I am like so excited about this show today. I could not wait for this show today because. This is a gift. I am giving a gift to all of my listeners that have done so much for me throughout time, throughout the years, the past 15 years that we've been on uh, the air. Uh, Every so often, I try to have someone on, a celebrity, where we can just give you a gift that you get to hear from someone you normally would not hear from. And that person today is a very famous singer, songwriter, and upright bassist, Scott Malvahill, who I first heard when I went to see Lauren Daigle. And then I said, wow, this guy is so awesome. That, I went to hear him again. And like, he is such a nice young man. I mean, he made a point of being on this show. That tells you a lot about him. So you know, just in the United States, there are what, let's see, 50 million people living with disabilities. And what we've got to do is get behind some of these great people and go out and buy their album or whatever it is. And in this case, it's his album. Scott Hill, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much, Joyce. Good to be here
1: where I am so excited to have you, as you can see. Uh, And it is an honor to have someone of your stature. But you know what? I think you are so awesome, so talented. And uh, your album is so fantastic that I want everyone to know because I want everyone to buy it. So, uh, Scott, let's start with you. How about if you share with our listeners a little bit about your childhood, and, you know, what led you to being this outstanding musician.
0: Yeah, um, well, thank you, and thanks for the such a kind introduction. Um, um, yeah, to to um, your listeners, if you haven't heard my music, I, I play the stand-up bass, I sing, and I write, and and so it's kind of a, a different take on the classic singer songwriter thing, um, being driven by the upright bass, which, and I play some guitar too, but it's, but my, the bass is my, my favorite instrument and the one I'm, I have the most to offer with. And so it's kind of, it's, it's kind of defined how I make music. And, um, when I was growing up, I actually didn't play, uh, I actually didn't play until I was 14 years old. I didn't sing. I didn't really do anything with music, um, um, and I had, I didn't even know when I started if I was going to be that interested in it or good at it or, um, it it was more or less a, um, kind of, you know, casual decision. Um, maybe I'll try playing and see what that's like. And my, my parents were, um, I think right around the time I was starting high school, my my mom and dad came to me and my brother who um who didn't follow music but plays a little bit um, um came to us and said um, you know would you have any interest in playing guitar and and just seeing what that's about kind of i think trying to spark something if if they could but not you know they didn't need us to play music or require us but um but I decided to try the bass, and and uh, and it just stuck so much, um, and and I fell in love with the instrument and fell in love with music in a whole different way because like, when you're playing it, you learn to hear it in a in a different way than if you don't have an intimate knowledge of music, but just listen. Um, and so I started to experience it in this whole um, beautiful way that that came through diving in and dissecting it and and hearing the different instruments on a song and how they add up and so um uh, but I will say before I ever played music I was I was kind of a like a focused kid and I'd get really into um whatever I was up to so if I was in a soccer I was going to be like um I remember like every every practice like especially the first couple practices of a season, I would just, I would go so hard that I'd end up throwing up. Like I was like, I couldn't just play and then, Oh, I'm tired. Let me chill out for a second. Like I'd go really, really intensely until, you know, <laughs> until my body gave out. And so, um, I, and then I was into skateboarding and I was, um, I was obsessed with that. So it's kind of this like, obsessive kid who everything i tried try to do, I was, I would spend a lot of time with it and, and get kind of good at it. And so when music came along, um, I had that, that mentality of like, I'm just going to dive right in. But then it was a whole different level of, of, uh, wow, I actually love this. And this is something that I could see myself not, not ever losing interest in, and, and really growing um, to love on a deep level. So, um, so that's that was. I think that set the stage for me to fall deeply in love with music and want to make it for my whole life. Um, and here we are. So,
1: okay. A question I have, though: so, Did someone tell you about the bass? Like, how did that part happen?
0: Well, um. It was actually it's, it's kind of funny thinking about it now because of how how much it's shaped my whole course but um I had a fr- I used to go to this summer camp and I grew up in Texas so there's a summer camp out there um in the hill country and I I'd go there every year and one year this friend of mine brought a bass guitar and um, and he'd sit out on the park bench uh, outside of this cabin that our it, we we were you know bunking in and, um, and he'd sit out there and play the bass and I don't you know I don't think it was like he was very I don't think he was very good or anything <laughs> it was just but it didn't matter it was just like oh man this guy's cool and he's got a bass and that thing's that's that's just so, so cool I I didn't know what to make of it um and so I think that planted a seed and then then when my folks asked me if I wanted to play guitars it, it made me um think about the bass like huh, maybe that would be cool to try and, and I, I think i thought it would be easier than guitar which um it's it's really not uh it's kind of uh it's kind of what you make of it but yeah and then so that was the bass guitar but after i got into playing and i was playing a lot and hours and hours a day i would i um eventually started to think about the future like Okay, maybe I want to do this in college. Maybe I want to do this as a career. Um, um, then that's when I think one of my teachers was saying, "Hey, you should really try the upright bass because if you're going to go study this, it would it might serve you well to to learn about it because if you do it in college, they're going to make you play it and it's hard. And if you get started now, that's that's a good thing. And so so I um um not too long after that I. I started playing the upright bass, and um, and that that kind of I think really shaped the way, like I said, that I make music now. And so, um, so that's where that came in. But it, especially with the upright, it's such a difficult and cumbersome instrument that it took a couple years for me to feel as comfortable on it. Um, as the electric bass, because it's it's such a it's a different animal as far as the technique of playing it. And so, um, so it, it it took a while for it to click, but once it clicked, it, it's like it really became my voice and my my instrument of choice.
1: And you play it very well. I you know I have never seen anyone in concert play the upright bass. And I really was impressed when I saw you at that concert, as you can see, because then I wanted to go see you again. Um, and we, we, we have had, you know, we've been advertising this show, so we've had a lot of fans get in touch. And one question that I noticed a lot of young people ask is what gave you the fortitude to keep going when you would fail? Because, uh, you know, a lot of them are meaning they're trying, 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 but running into obstacles. Uh, what gave you yeah. the, the, the ability to keep going?
0: Yeah, you know, that is a, that's a question everyone has to answer because, um, because even if you have a successful path in the long run, you're going to run into um, just discouragement and, and and the time it takes to even work up your craft and be good at what you're doing. It's, um, that's a big obstacle. And, and, the um, you know, and, and especially as a songwriter, I've, I guess it might be interesting for folks to know, like I was, I've lived in Nashville for nine years. Um, I moved here right after college and when I moved here, I, I was already writing songs, um, and, you know, had an interest in singing songs and, and being in, being an artist and recording music and, um, but I was also a bass player and I was, um, luckily I was able to, you know, find some work as a bass player, but as far as being an artist and, and, you know, performing songs under my own name, um, I was writing songs from, I guess when I started when I was a... 19 or 18 or 19 and then only two years ago did I quit all my side guy like hired, like hire gigs where I was playing bass as a hired gun you know and um and just go do my artistry full time and so so you're talking about 10 years of of writing and developing and growing so that's it's not and it's not that everything along those 10 years is an obstacle like I had good opportunities that led me where I am now, but, but it's still a long period of time to, you know, I I don't think for, for hardly anybody, it, it just doesn't work. Like you pick up a guitar and you start to play and you sing and, and suddenly you're a star, you know, it's, um, on a rare, rare occasion that might happen, but it's, but from, for the majority of us, it's like you really have to have the fortitude, like you said. And, um, and I think the biggest answer to your question would be um, just love the music itself, because the music is such a it's such a deep source of um, of it, well, it's an endless source of inspiration. Because there's so many great artists that came before us, and and happen, stuff that's happening right now that's that's incredible, and you can always learn more about the music itself and your craft and your ability to play and sing. So I think the, the main, the main thing is to do it for the right reasons, get into music so that you can make great music. You know, it's, if you get into music because you want a spotlight, like that's, that's going to be disappointing because, um, you might eventually get a spotlight, but that's usually takes, you know, a long time. And, um, and so, but your love of music itself and your craft that's 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 something you can put time into and and is really satisfying um to see yourself grow and to know more songs and know more about the songs and the people who made them and um so i think I think diving into the craft of it and the your knowledge of it is it it helps you grow in ways that you you're going to perceive and in some ways where it's just like people are going to hear what you do and all of your influence that you've built um like all the music you've let influence you is going to come out in a way that people are going to hear you and say okay this is valuable you know as you grow and it and it'll lead to more opportunities so i think just love it and and really don't be afraid don't worry about the timeline too much just 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 dive into the music
1: yeah, I like that part where you explained it's not overnight. You know, that's like with anything. No. I mean, when people are successful, it's not that one day they wake up and there you go. You know, it's, everything's right. there. Um, but I also like how you said, if you love it, you would keep doing it. You, know, you would keep on. Uh, and I, I think that is so true. I know that um, I want to point out a few things throughout the call, the show today. One is remember Anyone you know, you're thinking, oh, they would love this, they'd love to hear Scott talking, Apple, Spotify, or subscribe to my radio show, Disability Matters, with Joyce Bender, and you can get the show and share the show and share the podcast, but make sure you let everyone uh, know so that they know they can still go back and listen to the show. Uh, we're going to be talking about this later, but just so I keep reminding people, Himalayas is the name of Scott's uh, vinyl or CD, whatever you're looking for. And how do, how do you purchase that, Scott? Is that yeah, with um, Amazon, or how do you get that?
0: Um, you can get it on Amazon. Um, the best way, probably, though, is just to go to my website, scottmulvahill.com, which is spelled S C O T T M U L V A H I L L dot com. So if you just and and if you look up my name, you can find my website and, and you can order anything there. Um, um, we've got yeah CDs and vinyls and and uh, and, and of course iTunes as well and, and um, online uh, distribution stuff. It, you can I'm easy to find. So, um, uh, but if you're going to buy a copy, the website is a great way to do that.
1: Yeah, and we're going to be giving away at one of our fundraisers this year because, as you know, this year we're celebrating the 30th anniversary, can you believe that, of the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And we will make sure we have some of his vinyls there with us when we have different events. But listen, you can't get the gist of this without listening to his music. You've got to get that Himalayas, ScottMalvahill.com. So, Scott, you were obviously influenced by different uh, bass players. Who influenced you the most? Was it someone like a Ron Carter, or or who was it?
0: Yeah, I mean, Ron's definitely an influence, um, and especially his work with Miles Davis, and and was was big for me when I was, especially when I was studying jazz in college, um, but before that, I was I was actually more. I say I'm more more influenced by electric bass players um, first because that's what I was playing at first. And so um, uh, there's a great bass player named Jaco Pastorius who's one of my biggest heroes and pioneered a lot of the, the just the idea of bass being a solo instrument. And and um, and then um, and then my big hero was and is still Victor Wooten, who's um, a bass solo master and kind of took took some of what Jocko was doing and some of what like funk bass players like Bootsy Collins and Larry Graham were doing and turned it into this um, absolutely virtuosic solo style. And so Victor um, what's cool too, this year actually, Victor and I have become friends and, and I, I had met him years back, years back and actually went to one of his base camps. He teaches like, he, he has these camps during the summer and people come from all over the world to learn from him. And so I went to that years ago. Uh, but we, we got to reconnect this year and, and, um, uh, it's been really amazing and really a gift to, to actually get to know one of my heroes a little better and, and, um, and, and just kind of you know and, and I'll never be a peer to him but <laughs> just to know know somebody that like that as you know it's a little more of a like we're we're all sort of in this same music world versus me as a teenager and you know idolizing him and his music it's like i don't know it's it's been it's meant a lot that that he's taken a little time to just um, uh, give me a some encouragement. And so, um, so people like Victor, Jocko, um, of course, you know, I think this is easy to to overlook overlook too, but there are people that, you know, most of your listeners wouldn't have heard of that, that are influenced me, people local, you know, um, there's a teacher named Charlie Lair that, um, I grew up or I I say grew up when I was, when I was 14 to about 18, I took lessons from him and he, he was a huge influence on me and he was primarily a guitar player. So learning bass from a guitar player was just an interesting way to go about it. And it was, it, he was challenging me to do things on the instrument that maybe most bass players aren't, aren't thinking about. And like, um, just technical things. Like, you know, if you're going to play guitar, you're probably going to learn how to play guitar solos. But if you only learn bass, you might not learn how to take a solo cause it's not, you're not going to do that all the time, but Charlie was pushing me all the time, um, like to learn learn guitar solos. I would learn like trumpet solos and things, not on the trumpet, but play them on the bass and, and transcribe them for my instrument. So um, it was a really well-rounded um, approach that helped me think about the instrument in different ways. And, and so, so um, if you fast forward a few years, when I was in my time at, um, with Ricky Skaggs' band I, I played in his band for five years um, that was about the time I was starting to have this concept of playing the upright bass and singing and, and so I would say around 20, 2014 2015 I was starting just starting to write these songs of um, some of them some of which I still play now where it's like the bass and the voice and that's the that's the sound and so um, all that stuff had to be in the background and and my education in jazz and my college years helped me learn my instrument really well and then and then, later, I was able to take that and combine it with songs and and uh, yeah it was i think I think that process had to take some time because it was not something I could have invented out the gate.
1: Yeah. Isn't it something, though, how it's people like that, everyday life people, not just famous people, you know, that have an influence on you? I mean, that is really a great shout out to him. That's awesome. But I also know you were influenced by Ricky Skaggs uh, because I know you played with him. How did that happen? How did you come to play with Ricky Skaggs?
0: Man, um that was a miracle, uh, and, and um, I'll always be grateful for. Because I had moved to Nashville in 2010, late 2010, and um, and it was really pretty amazing to think when I look back that I was I was playing in Ricky's band. I think I started April of 2012, so it was really about a year and a half since I moved that I that I got that job, and so um, which. Which I mean, that's a that's a decent stretch of time, but in the scheme of things, it's pretty fast to get a gig like that from moving to town to to being in his band, um, and it really changed my whole course. And 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 um, absolutely, he's been an influence. And what's fun is I'm not playing in his band anymore, but tonight, actually, I'm going to fill in and play with them at at the Grand Ole Opry tonight in Nashville. So. There's so we keep in touch and, and we I get to um sit in every now and then and, and um and see those guys and, and play that music. So so that'll be really fun and, and uh Ricky is he's he's a mentor for me and for for basically anyone that's ever played in his band. Um he really and he sees himself as like kind of a mentor and father figure for all of us and, and that's such a beautiful thing because um he is he's definitely been the beneficiary of older musicians that took him under his wing under their wing when he was younger and um so he wants to do the same for for people now and um and the next generation of musicians and artists and so for me to be in his band um he was always challenging me and and he was not um not the easiest boss in terms of like he wanted things a specific way and, and wanted them excellent in the highest degree of excellence. But that, and, but then he was gracious to give me the time to like work it out, you know, and get there. So, um, so, uh, he was, he taught me so much, just the discipline of playing a great show night after night and, um, and then learning so much about bluegrass music, which I had, you know, a little knowledge of, but not really much at all, um, before joining the band. And so, so I was playing all this great music that I was learning for the first time, um, with one of the masters, you know? And so, um, it was, it was a learning experience I couldn't have paid for, you know? It was, uh, it was just so good and and such a rare opportunity, especially for some kid, like who had just moved to town after college. And, um, yeah, for him to take that chance on me is really something else. It's it's because even though I'm I play my instrument well and I I hope I did a good job in the band, there are people that know that music so much better than I do, and and would have um you know been right at home right away. But I think I think Ricky actually liked the idea of me being a different sort of player and uh, coming at bluegrass from an angle that was not. So traditional, um, and I learned that I learned how to play it in the traditional sense. But then, you know, um, I had my own take on things as far as like, hey, we're going to throw you a bass solo because I'm capable of it, and but in the way I do it, it's going to be a little different than um, maybe most bass players in that genre would do it. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I. I I hope I was a good addition to that band. I um, mean I I think by the end that I was it took me a, a little while like a learning curve but um but it was yeah it was a it was such a great thing for me and and the way it came about too was a, a bass player named Byron House recommended me for the job. So um this was just that was just an act of kindness really. I met Byron in Nashville and and I guess he saw something in me and and decided to pass on my name to Ricky but Um, but it was, it was definitely a lucky break for me that, you know, there were, and and I have no trouble admitting there were people far more qualified at the time to do that job, but it was, but for some reason I got it.
1: Well, wow, huh? What an impact that had on you.
0: Yeah. What a great opportunity.
1: All right, well, here's my favorite part now. We get to talk about the Himalayas, your album uh, that is phenomenal. Uh, First, once again, Himalayas by Scott Malvahill. Uh, com is an easy way to get it, or Amazon or iTunes. Uh, But again, com. This album is phenomenal. Uh, So first... What is the reason it's called the Himalayas, and what do you mean by go where I have never been?
0: Yeah, um, well, so Himalayas is is the, there's a song on the album called Himalayas, and go where I've never been is, for those who haven't heard it, is a lyric from the song. It's, uh, I want to go where I've never been. I want to find what I've been missing. Um, I want to come back different. Uh, Home is wherever I wake up. Hollywood to the Himalayas, I got to find out what I'm made of and go where I've never been. So that's the, that's the song. And and I decided to call the album Himalayas because that song really, for me, summed up um, like a, like an ethos or a mindset of, of how I wanted to, uh, really my, my heart and spirit at that moment where I was like, I had made this album and, and as much as I loved my job with Ricky, I was, I was like knowing that I needed to leave so I could do my own thing. Um, and, and so it was, it was a timing thing where it's like, now is the moment I've got to go. I've got to try this, my luck at being a solo artist and, you know, and whether that succeeds or fails, it's, I, I just know I have to do it. And, um, and so for me, it was, there was a, that was the moment in my life where, and that was true. And, and, um, and, and it kind of sums up like that's, that's in a big way, how I want to live in general, where not being complacent with who I am and where I've sure. gone and, um, and trying to, uh, trying to push myself in all ways. So there's a, I mean, there's a literal aspect, like I do love traveling, I love Seeing new things and meeting people, and um, and then there's just a, I think from an artistic span, standpoint that can really mean um, trying trying to push my my boundaries artistically and how I write and sing and play and, and I don't want to I don't want to get locked into one thing or rest on any laurels, but but pretty continually try to create. A new, you know, where it's, it's, um, uh, and, and in fact, because I'm, because Himalayas came out a while, uh, it's been a, about a year, a year and a couple months, um, you know, right now I'm writing a lot of music, like, okay, how do I push myself from here and use that album as a foundation, um, uh, and for, you know, evolving even further. So, um, to me, it's, it's really, a it's kind of a creed. It's like, this is how I'm going to live my life.
1: Wow. Well, how long did it take you to, to uh, write and produce this album?
0: Well, um, it, was, it was really several years because, um, and part of that's because I was creating my sound and my style with the bass and singing and writing. And, and I had to, you know, I had the idea of doing that. And then I actually had to do it. And then I had to learn how to play it and sing it at the same time and and do that in a fluid way. That's not, you know, actually pull it off live. And, uh, and, and so I was learning to do all that. And then I was still on the road with Ricky Skaggs band and other bands. And, and then, you know, trying to spend time in the studio and figure out how to pay for everything. And like, it was, it was all the, the combination of, where my life was at the time kind of, it made for a longer process, but in a lot of ways that's okay too, because, um, like I said, I had to learn how to do it after I wanted to do it. Like the, there's a factor of how I play and what I do singing and playing at the same time is, is kind of difficult. And so it takes like a, independence between your hands and your voice. And, it's it's sort of uh I mean it's just pretty challenging really. And so um knowing that I was capable of it but having to actually sort it out and do it enough to where it, it feels right when I do it and doesn't feel like I'm trying to pull something off I can't pull off, you know? And so um so that yeah, it's all a process to, to get there. Um and uh and and that just that really took a, uh, I guess, like I said, the first song that I wrote from that album um, is called "Fighting for the Wrong Side." and that, I wrote that in 2014, so the album came out um, 2018, so that you know that was, uh, was a couple years of writing, recording, and then and then even once it was done, like waiting for the right moment to release it and, um, and go tour and all that.
1: And uh, okay, a question from all of your fans: When is the next album?
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know what's funny is I, I had a, I'm, um, I had all these big plans um, s- s- half laid out with my team and my manager, and um, and I had this great meeting yesterday, actually just yesterday, with my manager because I've recorded a lot of music and a lot months and so um so we had all these you know maybe somewhat tentative but still planned you know timelines laid out this song's going to come out this day this song's going to come out several months then we'll put that whole album out in august and you know and the problem with it to me was that i have half of this new album done and um and if we start making timelines now, it seemed like just the wrong way to tackle it to, to say, this is half done. Let's release it this day. And that gives me, it was like this pressure of the deadlines that, that it would create, I think would really take away the joy and freedom of actually making the music. And so we had a great meeting yesterday that was just basically, um, like, hey, I need to I've been on the road too like the last year and a half pretty constantly, so I need some time at home to write and just to to rest a little bit from the year I've had and, and create and feel like I'm I'm back in the playground with music rather than being forced to meet strict deadlines that, you know, our schedule depends on. So so in the answer is I don't know, and that's a really good thing because um, because what I need to do as an artist is is know that I'm free to create whatever I think is most compelling and I think will be the most moving to people, and rather than um, rather than try to cram it through in a short amount of time, it's like okay, I need to trust that the process of me being like fully invested into what I'm creating and fully believing in it is going to yield the best product and, and result. And so, um, so I'm the, this is a long winded way of saying, I'm just, I'm, I'm taking a little time off to make them to finish making the next one. And which is already well underway, but it's, but I'm not thinking about the release too much right now because I want it I want to be wholeheartedly in on the creative process versus um, writing for a deadline. So, does that make sense? Uh, oh, yeah.
1: And I, <laughs> yes, it does. And I, I yeah. am assuming that anyone that wants to know that, if they would follow you on uh, scottmalvahill.com or Instagram, you're on Instagram, yep uh so that they would know yeah. when a new the new albums coming out i'm sure you that they could follow you and find that out
0: yes i mean and that's a good way to keep up with me um you know on a regular basis i use that a lot instagram facebook as well and um and you know so when when i make those announcements eventually that'll definitely i'll be making that on those platforms and um um, and that's, you know, so that's how I, that's one way I communicate with people. But, um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm really purposefully not worrying about it too much right now because I, I want to, I want to get in the headspace of like really anything I want to create is possible. And so being, feeling free to experiment, feeling free to take what I've done with the Himalayas album and build on that idea of like, Taking the bass and the voice as a texture and, and okay, where do I go from here that's, that's beautiful and surprising and interesting to me and therefore surprising and interesting to the listener and then, and also just the songwriting. How do I, you know, what, what songs are, are brewing right now that would be just powerful for people and I, you know, that's, that's a lot of intangible stuff where it's like, there's some, some, there's some truth that you can sit down and work on it, but it's also like, I think you just have to make some space and let it, and be, I, I need to make space for myself and be on the instrument a lot and just kind of let things come out and see what, see what's, um, the most compelling.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I, uh, I was lucky enough I have these photographs with Scott, and I'm going to get one of those to you, Scott, so when you put it on Instagram, you can also say, go to Apple, Spotify to hear this show. And I want all of you to tell everyone about this show. Now, for the 17 countries with listeners, um, have, have you toured at all overseas yet?
0: I have not, but there's actually a little bit in the works right now um, for next year. So that's, I think it's very possible.
1: Oh, that's good. Okay, everyone. Yeah. Okay, everyone, you heard that. you got to go to <laughs> ScottLobahill.com. You've got to go there so you can get uh, know ahead of time and tell everyone you know. As soon as we know. I'll tell all of you. I'll make an announcement uh, on the show so that all of you know. That's very kind. Um, and, and, and Scott, you know how I heard you. You made me laugh. I'll tell you what. I saw him with Lauren Daigle in the Benedict Center. And then he says, and by the way, I'm coming back to Pittsburgh, and I'll be at this place, and it's not quite as large as the Benedict. <laughs> and <Anyway>, it <laughs> but it was a great concert that night and that this is how night. i know about I you yeah. so so what was it like for you to tour uh the times you did with lauren Daigle?
0: yeah oh, it was fabulous um you know and and her music is like is um if if i'm guessing most people listening have heard her but uh, by this point but um but her music she's a she's a christian music artist and so my, my music has one foot in that, in the Christian world and one foot in the, uh, just kind of secular, I don't know what you call it, just music. And, and I'm, I'm totally comfortable with that because like their faith is a part of who I am and, and, but I also, I love instrumental music and all kinds of stuff. So it's, I'm, I'm happy whenever anyone listens. Um, and so her audience, um, was great to me and, um, um, really, yeah, those shows were a lot of fun, and 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 I feel like um, they were a challenge for me in a good way because there there were such big audiences. Like uh, I'm forgetting how big the Benidorm Center is, but at least two, or two thousand, probably probably more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so um, you know, all these shows were, and and I did forty shows with her, so it was quite a lot. Um, wow. Um, opening opening her tour in the fall of last year and spring of this year and so um uh and so we did did all these shows and every night my set was short, you know, so it's like I had fifteen minutes as the first thing on stage to try to captivate, you know, two to six thousand people every night. It was um and and it I really think that experience sharpened me a lot and just you know, getting up there and projecting my sound and personality to the whole room as hopefully as quickly and effectively and clearly as possible. So, um, so I, you know, that, that whole tour was a great training ground for me to, and, and it was one of the, you know, kind of the first big tour I did since the album came out and the, um, you know, I had done a good number of shows before that tour, but, Um, in the year prior, like as a solo artist, but, uh, but it never is on a, as a consistent um, tour where it's just like show after show, after show, after show. And, and it's just good for you. It was, it was really helped me um, just be a confident performer, you know, on a whole other, whole nother level. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And Lauren and her team are just awesome people. So it was, it was like, I love the, the whole crew and, um, and the spirit of everybody's, everybody on it was just so warm and and loving. And yeah, it was really a dream in so many ways. And so, um, that's, that's not something I'll forget anytime soon.
1: Yeah. She is really awesome. If, if Lauren Daigle, as Scott said, with the album Look Up Child is a contemporary Christian artist. You may know her by her song, You Say. Uh, but mm-hmm. you two have something in common. You know what that is? You both look like you're having so much fun when you are performing.
0: <laughs> cool. Well, uh, I know uh, I am. I, I know she is. She's, she, um, in in her... That's her mentality, and I feel like she she does a great job of, um, kind of. I, I mean, she just leads the charge on that herself with her personality and her her whole vibe is so is very joyful. And then she surrounds herself with people that are are also that way. Like her band leader Paul makes that makes it really fun, and and tries to make sure the band's having fun, and they get a chance to stretch a little bit, and um, you know, so it's like. They, uh, it's it's just a, it, I, I really looked up to the way Lauren and her camp created culture on, on the road. It's just like a a family kind of thing where people are comfortable, people aren't. Yeah, and and you know, it's Christian music is interesting because it can be there can also be this pretense to it where it's like, oh, we have to be so holy and so you know, righteous all the time. And and it's just like, and you can, and obviously we're trying to be good people and trying to love God and love the people around us, but that doesn't always have to, that doesn't have to have a pious attitude attached to it. And so um, I just, I love the way they treated that, where it's like, we're just here together and we're making music and we're doing it for the right reasons. And that's going to lead to a good outcome and trusting that that's going to, that's going to happen without us trying to appear super perfect or holy or something, you know? So it's, um, um, I, I yeah, I, I loved the way they just created a, um, an environment in that, in that, um, group of people.
1: Yeah. And, and uh, that's, that's really how you reach out, you know, across the board. That's how,
0: uh, yeah.
1: both of you have been able to reach out and I did see you, um, the song I love this song the Lord is coming oh
0: yeah, I love
1: that song thank you. I, I love it um, and how did that happen and, and and I also know you have you sang that with Lauren Daigle not when I saw you but I know you have.
0: Right, right, right. Um, yeah, how did, sure how, did that yeah how
1: did that how did that come to be why did you write oh, that? Oh, well,
0: so that song, well, and you I don't know if you know this news either, but that song um is um with w- it's on an album that's not my album, but um one of one of the co-writers recorded it and the album that it's on is nominated for a Grammy for Album of the Year. Did you know that? It's uh, No. So that song, yeah, that song is um um the album it's it, with that song. So it's um, so I wrote that with two friends, uh, Alana Boudreau and this girl Gabby, who Gabby Wilson, who goes by the name Her, H E R music. And so, her became a big R&B star over the last few years, and she's an incredible artist. And so she recorded it, and um, yeah, I want to say she's up for she's nominated for like five Grammys this year. Um, one of them being album of the year and that song is on it so it's um pretty amazing what's happened with that tune and just um where it's gone and and, in a couple different formats too because there's like um so this tour I'm on now Behold the Lamb of God with Andrew Peterson that song has been a big um well people just people those audiences have really resonated with that song and so when I first played it um on that tour as a special guest, this was a couple of years ago, really soon after we wrote the song. Um, it, that was a pivotal moment, pivotal moment for me personally playing it in front of Andrew's audience. And then, um, then Lauren Daigle heard me play it at a, at a thing in Nashville, like a, it was like a fundraiser. I was just playing that. I just played that one song as part of this event. And, um, and that's why Lauren asked me on her tour. And, and so um, so for that song, you know, even before all this stuff, now it was like a big song for me, and just where it, the doors that it opened, um, and then, um, and then now where you know it's up for a Grammy, like <laughs> it's like wow, you know, it's just things you can't predict. It's it's isn't, so that,
1: it's so, awesome.
0: isn't oh, that awesome? Oh, that is it's, so
1: exciting. Oh, yeah, well, I, love, I love that song. I love that song. And, uh, you know, it is, it's just awesome. I love it. I'm so happy Thank for you. you. You know, that Thank is really you. something. That is really great. Uh, but it's a beautiful song. Beautiful song. And listen, we, we are talking to Scott Malvahill, who is an outstanding singer, songwriter, bass player. And... Um, his album is called The Himalayas. This song is on it and other great songs. You got to go buy it. I'm not kidding you. You've got to buy this. I feel he's like this, you know, this gem that is going to become super famous, and then I'll have to call and beg his manager. Remember me? Remember <laughs> me? I, I had him on my show once. Um, but and and you better not forget me when that happens.
0: No, I, I get, how could I ever forget you, Joyce? That would never happen.
1: <laughs> uh, um, but I mean, you know what's funny I, I, about that... that
0: Pittsburgh show, uh, the Lauren Daigle show. Um, yeah. You know what's funny about that show? I don't know if you remember this, but that the night you saw me um, with Lauren, um, I had cut the crap out of my finger that day mm-hmm. um, because. Uh, so, um, you know, setting up for a show, there's all these little jobs that go into that job. And one of my, one of the things I was doing every day was setting up like a little display where I'd have CDs and records and stuff. And so I had this projector screen display, and there's a metal frame that that the screen you know attaches to, and then you project onto that, and it would just with my name and kind of like some cool video of shows and stuff, me playing, whatever. Um, the point is I was setting that frame up and, um, and, uh, and the it, the, it, the way it unfolds, like the corners meet and this, my finger got caught in these between the corner when it was, when I was opening up this metal frame. And so um, it just took a bite out of my middle finger on my right hand. And I can, I mean, this was when March, Um, and I, I still have like a little scar and so, um, and that's like, yeah. And so, um, uh, I I remember, I
1: remember, I remember that.
0: I remember you telling Um, the audience. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what was funny about that is, uh, and literally I had it covered in electrical tape cause there's just no, like, I mean, maybe I did a bandaid first. I know eventually I got, um, some like liquid bandage or something I don't know but but each night I had to just wrap it up in tape just so it would stay together oh my and I could you know and so um and I well, think you
1: You still did a great what? job.
0: You still oh, did a great job. I, I might have done even better cuz you know it I kind of puts you on the edge a little bit or um it makes you forget about whatever nerves you might have had so um, it's just sort of. Uh, it might have been a better show because I cut my hand, but um, the it was so funny. That was it was like what and, and it was I only cut it like thirty minutes before I was supposed to go on. I was like, of course, oh you know, it was the perfect timing. So well, um, well you
1: know, I, I want to one more time because we're soon going to be coming to the end of the show. Scott Malvahill, the Himalayas, he is a fabulous bass player. You've got to buy that album. And Scott, I love you. Your fans that have got in touch with me love you. And we will be following you at com. Before we end, though, I end every show with a quote. And today, you'll love this quote, Scott. In life's orchestra, the bike is the double bass hard to forget so for now this is Joyce Bender America's Voice go buy that album now tell everyone about it and make sure you tell everyone you can hear this on Apple or Spotify talk to you all next week great